Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. I'm Midge Noble, and I'm your host, and I'm your guest today. (laughs) So sometimes we just don't have a guest booked for a particular day, and today is it. And in the past, I have shared some of my memoir, Gay With God, and we're still working out the subtitle, by the way. Um, So today, I'm not going to do that, uh, although I love sharing my portions of my memoir with you guys, and I love your feedback about it. But today, something has come up um, in the last couple of weeks for me, and I wanted to share my perspective on it and and do sort of a, a confession. So my confession today is that um, I didn't know about this, <laughs> and um, I don't know why I didn't know about it specifically, but I don't focus in on the news. I don't focus in... Uh, on a lot of political stuff. Um, Although after our guest, my friend Kathy was here the other day, I have really stepped up and I've really leaned back into being a little bit more aware of the politics in my community. And tonight I'm actually going to a vigil uh, to support uh, the removal and relocation of a statue that has brought a lot of pain to our community. And my, my belief basically is that if it hurts one of us, it hurts all of us on, on some level. And so um, if something has been identified uh, for friends of mine or, or people that I love, that this, this statue is a symbol of death, a symbol of rape and and a symbol of a time in our lives that the person on the statue was a part of, I don't, I don't want them to have to always go by the courthouse to see this and always remember what generationally this has done to their families and what is still going on as far as racism in our communities. So I'm going to be attending that. Uh, we did a vigil um, the other Sunday afternoon, and tonight is a commissioner's meeting that I'm going to be a part of. So I just want to continue to plug for those of you who are listening that that if we are not aware of what's going on in our communities, if we're not aware of who's being voted into positions of power that can make decisions about our community, the LGBTQIA plus community, if we're not aware of what's going on and what movements are coming through, then we're going to be caught not understanding why all of a sudden we're not able to claim each other as being married, uh, why um, the rights of women's bodies uh, have been taken away, and we are now dictated by government what we can and cannot do with our own bodies. Um, And that's not a political statement for or against anything. That is a political statement that I want to be able to be independent of a governmental law that says I can't do something for my own body. Um, So anyway, that brings up this discussion tonight on um, Christian nationalism. Uh, 
So some of you are probably extremely smart and you probably already know what this is, but I'm bringing it to the Gay With God podcast because it does affect that, that question about if I leaned back into church and, you know, what does that mean for me as a gay person? Where would I go to church? what kind of church am I looking for? And, and we've talked before about, um, you know, and even mother Julie said in the last episode, um, that she would love to get a t-shirt that says I am a Christian dot, dot, dot. And on the back, it would say not one of those Christians. (laughs) And, and that's such a, I've always thought that, I mean, you know, when I started leaning back into church, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, I have been so angry at Christians my whole life after I figured out that I was gay, you know, angry at God, angry at the church, angry at Christians that are condemning me that, that I really had a hard time identifying as Christian. But today, uh, when I learned about Christian nationalism, I thought I would use today to talk to you guys through this. Now, what I'm going to be posting on the show page is a link to um, this article and this website that I'm getting this information off of. And um, I'm also going to be citing um, some Twitter posts from uh, Samuel Perry, and I will post his information as well for Twitter. Um, he's not a guest on my show, but I'm going to give him some props because I want you to look at, you know, you know what he's talking about also. And so what I'm going to be uh, doing from his Twitter account is the top 10 indicators um, to see if you're a Christian nationalist. So um, I'm going to start with saying that Christian nationalism is, is a very extreme way of looking at Christianity from my perspective. Okay. And extremism for me has always been a really difficult thing because I don't like anything that's too far one way or the other. I'm not a middle of the road person. I, it's not that I can see both sides and I can't pick a side. I can pick a side, but extremism to me gets really scary. So if I'm sitting at the stoplight and this person is screaming, <laughs> holding a Bible in the air on the sidewalk and screaming dogma and rhetoric, that scares me. That to me feels very threatening, especially if there, you know, there's signs of that around. I mean, there's nothing wrong with evangelism. And, and that is one form of extreme evangelism. I don't know how effective it is, but um, it, it does scare me. If I see Christians who are screaming their dogma with angry faces and pointing at people and, and their dogma and their, their words are coming out with, you know, implied shame and this all in all out thinking, you know, that we're all in or we're out. And if we're not just like this kind of Christian, we can't be Christian. I don't believe in that either. Um, I, I just believe that Jesus was not the type of person who was literally so extreme. I mean, I know he did extreme things uh, according to the, the Bible and also according to historical documents, but his, his whole movement was one of compassion, one of grace, one of inclusion, inclusion. <laughs> and that's why I know that being gay I can be with God because I'm already included. I was created by God to be me who also happens to be gay. And I know that based on my own body. I know that based on my own 
need to be with the same sex person, I have absolutely no sexual attraction to men. So you can't say that, that this was something that happened to me. I never had a sexual attraction to men. Most of the, most of the guys I would follow were very, like if I, if I had a teen idol, I would follow somebody that was really sort of like a, a masculine looking woman, even though they were, you know, it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't that I never had that sexual attraction. So knowing that I was born gay, knowing that, that God created me, knowing that I am his beloved and that I am a part of, you know, Christ and I am a part of that movement, then that's, that's what I know. And that's what I stand by. Um, if someone is going to use the Bible against us, if someone's going to use the name Christian against us, then that's a scary thing. And as I, as I talk about Christian nationalism today, I want you to understand how this is coming up for me. So, so when I first learned about it and I, I heard that it was all about um, making the United States a Christian nation, that seemed extreme to me because I know that I have friends who are Jewish. I know that I have friends, you know, who are Buddhists. I, even though that's not a religion, I, I have friends that are atheists. I have friends that are um, more earthy and they, they believe in um, Christ and, and God being in nature. Um, I have people across the board. So when you say to me that Christian nationalism wants this to be a Christian nation, that is extreme because you're saying to me that it has to be all this way and, it, and there can't be diversity. <laughs> and so what I'm going to do first is I'm going to read right off, right off this website, what is Christian nationalism? Because yeah, I'm just learning about it and I don't want to mislead anybody. So I want to make sure that you have the same understanding that I do. So Christian nationalism is a cultural framework that idealizes and advocates a fusion of Christianity with American civic life. Christian nationalism contends that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian from top to bottom in its self-identity, interpretations of its own history, sacred symbols, cherished values, and public policies, and it aims to keep it that way. But the Christian, and they use quotes here, the Christian in Christian nationalism is more about identity than religion. It carries with it assumptions about nativism, white supremacy, authoritarianism, patriarchy, and militarianism. Now, somebody mentioned that actually when we saw the, the January 6 riots, and there were these really non-congruent uh, pictures of some of the folks who were rioting, holding on to a wooden cross and praying. We saw people with, you know, signs that, that had Jesus's name on it or Christianity on it. And it's like, how can people have these Christian symbols and be rioting and beating on people and storming the Capitol and 
you know, putting people at peril. How is that Christian? And that's, I mean, I saw that on January 6th. I never, I never grasped and never then heard later anywhere where it actually sunk into my head that that was actually Christian nationalism. And that's scary because to me, the part of me that is Christ-like would be someone who is going to sit down with people who are diverse and different and speak with them and, and learn about them and, and love them. And if you want to bring up, if there's any comments about the whole Jesus cleansing out the temple and all those things, I want you to just know that if you really studied some of those passages where it looked like he lost his temper, that this was not, that's not how it really happened. (laughs) And, and we can go about that, uh, go about that another time. But um, Jesus was one of shock value. Sometimes he would you know, he would say things that no other person would, would admit to saying, you know, he was definitely in your face. He was definitely going to challenge some of the old thinking because this was a new day and standing just in the Leviticus, Leviticus purity culture um, is extreme. I mean, we, none of us live there. You know, I know there are some, a very small sect of people that may, you know, dress exactly the way Leviticus says, exactly, uh, eats exactly what it says you can and cannot eat in the old, you know, laws. But if you've ever thrown a football, you've broken one of the laws in Leviticus because that's, you know, the skin of an animal. You know, if you wear polyester, if you, you know, all of those things that we've talked about before, the Leviticus laws were for then and not for now. And so we learn from them. We know we can learn what happened then, but that is not who we are today as a culture. And we are continuing to move and breathe and have our own beings, basically. And we've got to be very careful about extremism, I think. So this article also asks the question, how does Christian nationalism show up in politics and policy? So according to multiple academic studies using large nationally representative surveys, Americans who embrace Christian nationalism are are more likely to approve of authoritarian tactics like demanding people show respect for national symbols and traditions, fear and distrust religious minorities, including Muslims, atheists, and Jewish people, condone police violence, toward Black Americans and distrust accounts of racial inequality in the criminal justice system, believe racial inequality is due to the personal shortcomings of minority groups, report being very uncomfortable, that's also in quotes, very uncomfortable with both interracial marriage and transracial adoption, hold anti-immigrant views, fear refugees, oppose scientists and science education in schools, and believe that men are better suited for all leadership roles, while women are better suited to care for children and the home. Now, one of my questions is, if they believe in these things, how is that going to work out when it comes to someone who is Jewish, 
if you're saying that this needs to be a Christian nation, what's going to happen when somebody decides I don't want or I am not Christian? You know, how is that going to play out for me? What's going to happen when I, you know, go to my synagogue? Will there still be synagogues? Will I still be allowed to go to the synagogue? So, you know, my fear is that if if the people who subscribe to this, if they are, are able to take office, if they are able to be a part of, you know, the the people who are are making decisions for my life. You know, that's what scares me. So if I'm if I'm married and I am, I am married to my wife and we've been married, you know, for many years and all of a sudden you can change the laws in Florida to say you can't say the word gay. Anybody who is telling someone they're gay, if they don't let the parents know that you've said this, then you can be, you know, prosecuted for that. Um, You know, people who are wanting abortions in a certain state, if they find out you live there and you are going somewhere else for an abortion, you can be, you know, prosecuted. Um, If we're if we're voting people in who have certain values that are not fair for all people, that's scary. If you only believe that Christians should be allowed to be in the United States, then have you missed the whole idea of the melting pot that our nation was founded on? I mean, how can you say that, um, you know, how can you, one, how can you say you're a Christian, which implies that you're, you're part of a group lineage wise, you're part of the group who followed Christ's teachings and, and believed in, in the mission that Jesus was all about. And yet you don't want Jews in the United States because (laughs) now there are some of you who may know about Christian nationalism, and you may want to come on the podcast and talk about your understanding of it. And if you, and I'm sure you are a lot more qualified to talk about it than I am. Um, I would love to have you. The thing is that um, when I heard about this and one, I was, I was embarrassed and shocked. I was embarrassed that I didn't have a, a clue. And, you know, it's been a little click since the, the January riots, but I didn't know about it and didn't understand what I was actually seeing as far as the images of Christianity displayed in the rioting. Um, but I, I was embarrassed that I didn't know, but I'm also bringing it to you without being a expert because I want you to start to know about it. I want you to become aware of it. I want you to know that we need to investigate this and learn about this. And we need to be able to be more aware when our commissioners, our governors, our senators, our, uh, mayors are being voted in, you know, what what are they basing their decisions on when it comes to me? How, how am I going to be um, served by these people that I'm voting in to serve me if, if they don't even acknowledge me, if they want to take away my marriage, if they want to you know, create uh, laws that take away our rights? That's not okay with me. So that brings me to Samuel Perry. Um, Samuel Perry um, 
had a, a really good discussion um, on another podcast that I listened to earlier today. And um, that's how I knew to, to look up his Twitter <laughs> account. And his Twitter account is um, at S-O-C-O-F, the sacred. Um, so I, you, I'll, I'm, I'm going to post that on the on the page for the podcast. So um, let's let's look at what he believes are the ten indicators that um, you may be seeing Christian nationalism. Now these are his opinions, and I'm not saying that they are completely 100% what Christian nationalism is, um, but I know that he has a pretty good handle on it. Just had to get a little sip of water before I did some more of this. <laughs> so the first is us versus them. So that's a dead giveaway, he says. If a professing Christian clearly sees non-Christians as enemies to be defeated, controlled, or kept separate, rather than served, loved, befriended, they're thinking as, you know, a culture warrior, a Christian nationalist culture warrior. The idea of dying for the unworthy is repellent to them. So if you have that us versus them, then that could be considered Christian nationalism. And we've all seen that. We've seen how, you know, okay, you have to be this kind of Christian. And if you're not, you're not really Christian. Even in the religious community, you know, I was even taught that Catholics are probably going to hell because, you know, you have to go through a priest to get to God and, and lots of other reasons my grandfather came up with. So, you know, we all look at the different religions and say, oh, well, okay, <laughs> they don't quite have it. <laughs> and, and that's what I love about being Episcopalian is because we are a blend of people from all sorts of religions. <laughs> and then we found um, the Episcopalian um, philosophies. And for me, the, the whole social justice aspect and the Jesus movement is what really um, kept me connected to this parish that I'm going to, that I love, love, love. Um, so number two from Samuel Perry is culture versus person. When a Christian talks about the Christianity people need, does it sound like they're talking about a culture like values, morals, worldviews, behaviors, or a person? like Jesus. Christian nationalism isn't about folks meeting Jesus. It's about white conservative dominance. So, you know, if you're talking about culture, that's, that's different than being a Christian who follows Jesus. And we've got to be very careful, you know, about this whole uh, church and state thing, because, that that whole concept of don't blend your politics basically with your your Christianity or your religion, because not all everybody aspires to the same religious values or doctrine. So you can't you can't base it on that. And I know I know that, you know, someday we may have, you know, someone in office that that ascribes to a, a religion that is just, you know, bizarre to us because it may not be our thing, but we have to be very careful that we're not moralizing people when we're making laws, because it's not, even though, you know, when you look at the 10 commandments to me, those were morals. I mean, you know, don't kill, <laughs> don't steal, <laughs> you know, but the laws, 
that didn't have anything necessarily to do with evangelism or, or, you know, feeding the poor, you know, taking care of widows, all of those things that we are, we are asked to do. Um, but when you make a law about whether or not I can be married in this state, your religious beliefs should not affect my rights. If you're saying that I can't, um, you know, go get a cake at this, at this store, well, that may, that may or may not you know, be true, but I should not, I should have the same basic rights and protections under the flag as every other person in America, because I am an American and I pay taxes here. So when you start to use your religious beliefs to limit my rights, that's not fair. Um, number three, contempt for the cross. Christians don't take up their cross in Christian nationalism because real Christians don't lose in this life. They win. Laying down one's rights for one's enemy is like surrendering. It's un-American. It's for losers. Therefore, it's also unchristian. So they blend this whole belief system that when you look at those who who need assistance from the government. If you look at people who, um, you know, are poor and um, refugees, that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to lay down their rights for, for their enemies. And they see anyone who is not part of Christian nationalism as the enemy. And they call that un-American. And that goes against all of Jesus's doctrine right there. <laughs> he had a doctrine. It goes against Jesus's uh, whole way of living is that it was always about looking out for those who needed help. Um, number four. Um, so this is talking about that is the Old Testament Israel equals American Christians. So if a Christian's telling you how Jesus followers should live as Americans and their theological paradigm is how Israel was instructed to live in Canaan, you've got Christian nationalism, ethnic conquest, blood and culture, purity, theocracy, not New Testament Christianity. So, you know, that that whole Old Testament can be such a sticky wicket because there's a lot of stuff in there that is hard to explain if you really aren't looking and 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 doing some pulling out of verses and looking at you know the background of where that came from and and why it was there so you know you have to be really careful thinking that ethnic conquest and blood and culture purity that that is not what this nation right now is, is benefiting from. Um, just because it's a cause does not mean that everybody needs to be on the same page with that. Um, so let's go on to number five. National righteousness equals purity. This one piggybacks on the previous one. If someone's operating with Old Testament Israel and Canaan as their paradigm, they'll be very concerned with America's faithfulness, which boils down to religious and sexual purity, not justice, fairness, etc. So that goes back to what I was talking about also earlier, is that when you're looking at the purity culture in the Old Testament, 
that does that is not how we're being served today or how we should be served today. My mother loves the 50s. She thinks it's the best time of everybody's lives. However, she was not aware as a white female um, daughter uh, with two brothers. You know, she was like the, you know, the one that was, you know, she's the girl. And um, and she learned exactly how to to present herself and how she served her man and, you know, all the things that she did, which is not a bad thing based on how she was raised, but the purity culture of that and not attending, she did not have an awareness of what my African-American sisters and brothers were going through. She didn't have any clue about, you know, whether or not they could walk on the same sidewalk as a white person, what, you know, what, fountain they could drink out of she she just knew about you know sock hops and you know root beer floats and and those she did not have the concept that women couldn't vote because it didn't matter to her at that point she didn't have the concept of you know how women are treated and whether or not they could have a job where they could actually you know live on their own and and start a business so you know when you look at how things shaped up in the old testament and how women were basically, you know, lower than snails bellies. I mean, you just, if you were female in the old Testament, you often had absolutely zero rights. And so you base all of how you think we should be living today on, on chapters in the Bible where the culture was completely different and how women were not treated well and neither were, you know, other other sex. So you got, you know, people who are from different communities and you've got people who were put down, how lepers were treated. I mean, all of these things that has nothing to do with how we need to be going about living our lives today in 2022. Number six, America equals central to God's plan. So even if they warn God will withdraw his hand from America for impurity, they still believe God has a special relationship with the USA because we're founded on biblical principles. Thus, it's always America first and God wants it that way. Now, this kind of threw me because I, I know that the Jewish community was pretty much told that they're the chosen ones. (laughs) I mean, if you really want to read in the Old Testament, I mean, they, they are the chosen people. You know, God spent a lot of time taking care of the Jewish community. uh, Jesus was Jewish. Um, So God, when they say God wants it that way, that America has to be first, America clearly wasn't first. I mean, that's just, (laughs) I don't think that I, I don't think that. So um, and I, I think that all of us are, are what God wants. He wants all of us. If we're all created in God's image, then hello. <laughs> Doesn't that mean that he already knows that we have, you know, that he created people who are Asian, who are you know Hispanic, who are uh, Jewish, who are, you know, we are a rainbow of people because God created diversity, says Midge. Not <laughs> Number seven, culture of death. This one's tricky because Christian nationalism will be strongly 
anti-abortion, but Christian nationalism will also be pro-guns, pro-military, pro-death penalty, anti-mask, anti-precautions, and anti-health care for the poor. The abortion stance is authoritarianism, not concern for the vulnerable. So when you look at all of the, that list, and I'm, I'm not talking out against the military, I'm not talking about whether or not you should own a gun, but the, 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 when I look at that, the spirit of this is that it's, they're, they're having a very narrow picture of who's in the world. And they want to take authority over it. They want to control the narrative. They want to control what's going on. And they want to do it by force and without concern for the vulnerable, uh, those who need us, the ones that Jesus included. They're not looking at that. If it's not what they believe, they believe that they can take issue with it and use violence to fix the problem. Number eight, selective Bible quoting. Like any heresy, Christian nationalism selectively quotes the Bible. Favorite Bible quotes will be Jesus expelling money changers. Remember, I talked about the temple earlier. Romans 13, submitting to authority, patriarchy stuff, stuff about forgiveness and judging only when their leaders are immoral um, idiots, says Samuel Perry. Um, so that's... Ex that's not really extremism necessi necessarily, but I believe that it's so misleading when you take one verse out of the Bible or you take a quote from the Bible and you say, this is what God said, and this is how we have to do it, but yet you're selective. So you won't take the one that says um, that you can't wear a certain amount of clothing or, you, or that you can't do this or can't, do, if it doesn't fit what you're doing, <laughs> then you'll ignore that one. <laughs> if it fits what you don't want the other person to be doing, then you use it to bash them. That's the whole Bible bashing thing that, that I grew up on is that we're going to take these, these, these examples and tell you why you're going to hell. And then they are not judging themselves by that same standard because it's all about putting that on somebody else. And it's so damaging, especially, you know, for folks like you guys and me who grew up knowing that we were you know, different, and then later may have found out we were gay or knew that we were growing up gay. And these quotes and these, these scriptures, like Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're going to take that whole narrative and say, this is, you know, homosexuality. And that's why, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah was wiped out. Well, let's jump to the New Testament where they talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And guess what it was? Inhospitality. Why? Because if you're out there without the quick checks <laughs> and the, uh, you know, hotels, you're, if you're not hospitable to people, they're going to die out there, you know, in the dusty, you know, roads of Damascus and all that. So, you know, hospitality was huge, huge back then. And when you, when you are not hospitable to new people, people who have come into your community, that was a very big deal to God. And, you know, that was a big deal to most people who cared about other people. So giving them food, drink, a place to stay. I mean, that's, that's what they were called to do because that's what continued to help the communities at large. But 
So you're going to take that passage that makes you think that they're talking about homosexuality when really it was just, you know, people wanting to gang rape new people. It wasn't about homosexuality. It wasn't about same sex loving relationships based on, you know, biology, by the way, people that we are either born with a proclivity of being gay or straight or on some spectrum. So you cannot just pick and choose. Um, well, I guess you can. <laughs> I would really hope that we don't, <laughs> that we really study the scriptures, that we get context for it, that we look at other scriptures that that re report um, that support that. And also, you know, what I'm learning in Bible studies at the at the parish is that, you know, look at the wording the back in when it was translated from the original Greek to this or or Hebrew, because you got to choose which word you wanted to put in there when you translated it, you know, based on who was the king at the time, who was doing what. And so wording is everything. And if you don't look at the original and kind of look at, at what it really meant, then we're all going on suspect of what we're just being taught, not, not really by knowing what it means, but just what we're hearing that it means. So number nine, lack of concern for um, witness. This goes back to us versus them when, and in quotes, they, and in quotations, it's in parentheses that you have infidels, non-whites. So when they, and they're describing they as infidels, non-whites, are the enemy, who cares what they think? Of course, they'll hate you and you hate them. So just, you know, screw them. Better to dominate them. And then it really doesn't matter what they think. So this us versus them, when they when they have no concern about other people, it's because they believe that if you are not Christian, then you don't matter. If you are not white, you do not matter. Um, and so they empower themselves to take authority over us and also empower themselves to get rid of the enemy. So, uh, and to dominate them. So that's what this, that's why this is so scary is that those people who are on the margins, those people who, um, you know, need help and, and, and are not necessarily identifying as Christian, they are in the scope of what these folks are feeling like they need to purge the world from. Number 10, conspiratorial victim mindset. When your whole reality is culture war and us versus them, you must constantly be vigilant that everyone in power, media, scientists, non-Christian nationalist politicians are lying and out to get you. So everything is conspiracy and everyone is screwing you over. So they they create this the conspiracy theories of us versus them and y'all are y'all are trying to confuse us you're trying to you know put stuff in our heads you're trying to you know <laughs> and I've, I've thought this was so funny because you know when people say that the democrats created covid <laughs> like wow we're powerful and they've also said you know for years how many how many times have you guys heard that that you know, the floods, the earthquakes, you know, all of this is because of, of gay people, you know, and that we are the cause of all of these bad things. And, and so the power that we have as a community, <laughs> if we would all rise up in the power that they assume that we have, we would really get some things done at the voting booth. That's for sure. So um, I wanted to bring this to you today because 
one, I want you to be aware. If if you were not aware and you were like me and just kind of living your life and thinking you knew stuff and then you find out this whole thing's going on since January 6th and probably beyond that. But um, the thing that got my attention is that that because I didn't know about it. And then I spoke to some of my friends and they didn't know about it <laughs> and they were surprised about it. Now, some of my friends are older at the parish and so they, they were not clicked in. And so I thought, well, how many other people don't know about this? And especially the gay community, because we are on the firing line. We are the ones that are the others to them. Uh, if, you, if you do not identify as Christian, you're an other. And I don't know how they would go about making everybody here Christian. So will they will and, and see some of the things that are happening with like bombs on synagogues and uh, bombs in churches, you know, black churches, you know, we're looking at hate filled, scared people. They don't look like they're scared because they're so powerful. But if you're that afraid of a gay person or you're that you want to wipe them out, that you feel like you've got to purge them in the name of what God, is it that God's job? And I don't think God assigned that to you. Um, it just really scares me. And I want, I want to, to provide information because I do think that information is powerful and you can use it for good or evil. You can twist information, but we've already started seeing it happening. So if you look at Texas, if you look at Florida, if you look at other um, states who are denying rights to certain people, it's already started that, and it's, we've always had us and them always. So, you know, even back in the day, you know, in, in Bible times, there was us and them. We don't learn well, do we people? <laughs> History continues to repeat itself because we're not learning the lessons. So let's please, let's learn some of these lessons so we don't keep repeating the same patterns over and over and over again. Um, but I want us to be aware and I want us to know more. So I am actually going to be um, at some point sh sharing this whole webinar. There's a video that goes along with this information. And um, the bishop of the Episcopal Church uh, in my state um, Bishop Curry was on a panel of people talking about Christian nationalism and how it affects Christians and, um, and what needs to be done about it. So I'm going to be sharing that webinar um, probably sometime in late April or early May on my Gay with God site. So if you're interested in um, seeing that webinar together with a group, then uh, please join the Gay with God uh, Facebook page, and you'll know when it comes up. Also, remember that I have um, a faith journey group that we Zoom on Mondays at 6 p.m. So um, not not Mondays, not every Monday at 6 p.m., um, but some Mondays. Uh, so you can also find the events for that in um, in the Gay with God Facebook page. So. I wanted to make sure that I made you guys aware of that and that it is relevant for us and our community, and I want you to be aware. So I also want you to be aware that the reason that I'm telling you about this today is because I did not have a guest scheduled. So I'm glad to do that. I'm glad to come up with other topics for this podcast, but I think really what gives us visibility and validity is the stories that you guys have. So please go on the Gay With God podcast, scroll all the way down to the bottom and look for the link that talks about how to be a guest and please sign up. 
to tell your coming out faith journey story. And as I've said before, your journey does not have to be perfect. Your relationship with God does not have to be perfect. You don't even have to be in a relationship with God. Because if I say gay with God, but you like, I'm not really, I'm not really into God. I'm into nature or I'm into Buddhism. I still want to hear your faith, your journey as coming out. And did that affect your faith or did it never have a relevance of your faith? So, you know, the scope sounds narrow, but it's really quite broad if you want to be a guest on the show. And I would love to hear your story. So guys, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for honoring, um, this podcast. And uh, we just hit 3000 downloads not too long ago. And, and my year anniversary with Podbean is still not here yet. It's not until May. So I'm so proud of you guys for, for um, telling your stories, for being brave enough to step into this format and let us hear how you made it through and how your life is going. Um, and I want to thank you for you know, really coming back each week and supporting sharing, subscribing, um, wherever you get your podcast, because we're on all sorts of formats. We're Apple Podcasts and, you know, Google Play, and we're, we're in a lot of different formats. So, you know, I really want you to, to give yourself a pat on the back for being so connected to this community. And I definitely want you to continue to connect uh, with me and get, get a guest spot set so we can hear your story. Um, I'm going to put the links for um, this, where I got this information from, and, um, and you will be able to see the webinar from there. But if you would like to also talk about it with each other in the Zoom presentation that I'm going to do later in the month or next month, um, join the Gay With God podcast, and then you can continue to be part of that community. So as always, if you're questioning whether you can be gay and be in relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has also been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. So thank you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Stay tuned and let um, make sure that you are able to um, become a member of our community. And remember to check out the Facebook group, Gay With God. And if you need a little coaching support to get through your journey, um, please look at the show page and scroll all the way down at the bottom. And you can access that show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com and see how you can connect with me. Your uh, first session with me is always a complimentary session. Um, and then we can schedule ongoing appointments if you choose to do so. So thank you, everybody. I appreciate you. I'm sending my love to you and I'll see you next week. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4 
a song found on his CD entitled Sundance. <laughs> 